G'day, g'day. Uh, my name's Jackson, and welcome back to episode two of Just Another NBA Podcast. Now, today, I wanted to delve into sort of the individual matchups that we're going to be seeing in the playoffs in the next couple of days, um, especially since Portland has clinched their the eighth seed to go against LeBron and the Lakers. I thought, better time than any now that we actually are 100% concrete know who's playing who, that we'll go through and we'll see uh, my personal opinion on who's going to win, uh, the, the key sort of tactics that the coaches are going to have to use per each matchup, and just how each individual's team's pros and cons match up against the other team's pros and cons. So I reckon we just get straight on into this, and we're going to start with the East, and then we're going to move on to the West. So starting it off in the East, we've got the number one seed Milwaukee Bucks going against the eighth seed Orlando Magic. Now, personally, I think that this will be a sweep. Um, I think that the talent level and the difference within that talent level, um, as well as the the key matchups between players, as well as uh, defensive styles, just it just makes this matchup an absolute nightmare for the Magic. And the main reason for this is that the Bucks have a historically efficient defense, um, and this is anchored by rim protectors in. Brook Lopez, Robin Lopez, Giannis, as well as having fairly well, uh, fairly well strong and switchable guards and wing players, which they can use to sub in and out to just assist with absolutely clogging up that paint and not allowing anyone, and it doesn't matter who it is, to get in and penetrate into the paint. So they're allowing people to shoot three-pointers, and they are willing to basically accept a loss if the opposing team is going to keep hitting threes. they are, Their main focus defensively is just to make sure that you can't penetrate and that there is absolutely no sort of desire to go inside, uh, as these are the more efficient looks. It's, it's just the method that they chose this season with the players that they had and their style of play to basically just suffocate anyone who even remotely thinks about going inside. And when you get on into the Magic, they are one of the worst three-point three shooting teams in the league. I mean, just for three-point percentage over the season, they ranked 25th out of the 30 teams. And when you even look through their roster of... I mean, their main star is Nikola Vucevic, who... He's just not a three-point shooter. He gets his points in the paint or a little bit outside into mid-range. So basically suffocating that and taking that away from their star player and their main source of offensive output, this will just wreak havoc on this uh, Magic team. Uh, so I do think that this will be a sweep. I think it'll be 4-0. Uh, the only way I can see that not happening is just that they have to get hot from 3-1 night because they do still have serviceable shooters in guys like Evan Fournier and Terrence Ross and even some of these other players that come off their bench, like Mo Bamba, he had a, a three-point shot coming into the league. We haven't really had much of a chance to see him play all that much, and he just he hasn't very been he hasn't really been very effective when he's been on the court, which I think is a big bummer because I was I was very high on Mo Bamba. Um, I think that I thought he had the potential to be a generational player in this league, but he's just I'm not sure if it's because he's stuck behind Vucevic and some of these other big men that the Magic seem to be drawn to, but they just need to have 
they just need to have more talent on the outside shooting if they even want to have any chance of going up against the Bucks. And especially when your main players are a center and then a sort of jump shooting wing player and Evan Fournier, they are built so that they, whilst they do allow three-point shooting, they still have very competent and strong perimeter defenders in Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe, as well as Dante DiVincenzo and Wesley Matthews. These guys are all very serviceable and strong defensive presences on the perimeter, but they will allow you as a team to shoot more three-pointers because just running off the statistics, it makes more sense to clog up the paint and limit easy and more efficient shots and allow people to shoot shots that have a lower percentage of actually being made. So that is why I have the Bucks as the, the bloody clear favorite to absolutely stomp the magic. I mean, I'll, I'll genuinely be surprised if it even goes to 4-1, but especially in a situation where there is no home court advantage and some of these players have sort of just erupted on the scenes with the likes of players like TJ Warren, who we'll talk about later on, um, who just can have these monster games and just carry their teams. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Evan Fournier, I mean, Terrence Ross has had a history of randomly erupting, um, having a 50-point game when he was back in Toronto. So you've always got to have that thought of mentality that there, there is a chance, no matter how talented a team is, that another team could just have a better night. And that's all it takes is just one player having a monster night and then they'll get that extra win. But I do see that as quite unlikely when you're going up against the sort of front-runner for the MVP as well as the front-runner for Defensive Player of the Year, as well as going against a candidate for Coach of the Year, and just having this team that's just ticked all these historic boxes. So yeah, it's, I, I think it's going to be 4-0. and Now moving on to the, uh, the second versus the seventh seed, in which we'll see the Toronto Raptors taking on the quite surprising and very scrappy Brooklyn Nets. Uh, they, they definitely did surprise me in their play in the bubble. Um, I was expecting, since they were without basically their entire potential starting five in Kyrie, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, DeAndre Jordan. I mean, Kevin Durant's been out the whole season. There was there was no ex expectation of him coming back, but I mean, he's still gone. Um, they did surprise me in how well that they sort of matched up against a few people. And um, it did prove that their coach that they've only had for, I think it's less than 10 games, maybe just 10 games in uh, Jacques Vaughan, has really shown that he deserves to be a head coach with the way that he's been able to rally up these players and get them to basically be able to push some of these contending teams. Um, and for anyone who watched the Trailblazers versus Nets game that they uh, the Blazers won to get into the play-in game, they just seemed to very... They were just very capable when it came to defending someone like Damian Lillard, which doesn't really have much in the way of bearing when it comes to going up against the Raptors, since um, the Blazers and the Raptors are two very well, two very differently built teams, where the Blazers would basically focus on going through star-level talent, and the Raptors are more of a holistic team approach which I think would actually match up very badly to how the Brooklyn Nets sort of approach the game, especially in the bubble. Um, whereas they can game plan for certain individual offensive talents, such as Dame and uh, their ways that they used to go up against uh, the Bucks and the Clippers. 
um, I feel like they just don't have the personnel to go up against a, a team built like Toronto. They, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter if they go out and um, one of their players ends up stopping Siakam because Siakam is also one of those players that's very easily, it's the game comes very easily to him that he's able to make the right passes and the right decisions that even if you do try to take him out of the game, he's still going to be able to have a positive sort of effect on the players around him. Um, and it's, it's four reasons that this, that I just think that this matchup is, uh, it's just not, it's just not a very good matchup, similar to the Magic to the Bucks for the Nets against the Raptors. And I have the Raptors in four. Um, but with the personnel that they have, with the surprising, um, the surprising inputs from Timothy Luawu Cabarro, which I think I actually nailed that pronunciation, by the way, um, as well as guys like Karis Levert, who absolutely surprised me um, in the bubble. I mean, I always knew that he was a very talented player and that he'd be a key piece for this team. Um, I didn't expect him to be as dominant as he's been in these past couple games. Um, so there is the possibility that he might have, have an absolute godly game and just bring up the Nets um, offensively by himself and sort of get a, get a step ahead of the Raptors in maybe one game. But I do find that incredibly hard to believe just because regardless of how much I would praise Jack Vaughn's coaching, Nick Nurse is my coach of the year. Uh, and that team is just able to throw so many different lineups at you that no matter how well the Brooklyn Nets might be at um, building up against a certain game plan, I don't think there's really any chance of them being able to build up against such a dynamic and diverse team in the Raptors because they're able to get almost any level of offensive or defensive um, contributions from anyone on that roster. And it, it's it's quite literally very uh, awe-inspiring to watch them play sometimes. They do give me slight inklings to the, um, the Spurs dynasty at its peak, um, especially when it came to a head in 2014, where it's just unselfish styles of play. There's um, obvious sort of alpha dogs, um, but those alpha dogs know that they don't need to be acting like an alpha dog all the time. They're able to take a step back and allow the team as a whole to work as a whole instead of trying to carry the burden on their shoulders, which is actually quite rare, especially with just how commercial and how um, big individual personalities are in this league. It's, it's quite hard to find players that are willing to take that step back. And I think this Raptors team is just able to do that to such an extent that it makes them a matchup nightmare for anyone. And I think that they, they do have a chance to upset the Bucks and to go on to the finals again, even without the um, the sort of the clutch mentality that Kawhi Leonard did give them. I think that being able to go through the finals once has given every single player who remained on the roster from that championship team a little bit of that clutch mentality and that playoff sort of drive that some players have and some players don't. I think the majority of players on this roster have that and it'll make them an absolute nightmare for not just the Nets, but for anyone else they end up matching up against during this this playoff run of theirs. Um, I think that that will be actually one of the more interesting matchups to watch in this first round in the East, um, just because of how adaptable the Nets have shown themselves to be and it, it, it should be good to see two very adaptable systems going up against each other. 
but I do have the Raptors being obviously the more talented, the better coached, and just the all-round better team taking this quite easily and moving on to the second round with basically not even missing a step. Moving on to uh, probably one of the more star-studded matchups in basically the entire first round with the, uh, the Celtics versus the 76ers. Uh, I personally have the Celtics winning in about six, uh, maybe seven, if Philly can get a little bit more of a playmaking presence with Ben Simmons being out, but I, I don't see that happening. I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty solidified in my views that it's going to be Celtics in six. Um, my main reasons for this is that I think they match up, even regardless that uh, Philly won the the season series uh, three to one, I believe. Um, the Celtics are just a more well-rounded team. They aren't missing very key parts like the 76ers are. And I think just from a personnel standpoint that this, the Boston Celtics are able to throw a lot more at the 76ers than the 76ers can throw back or even withstand themselves. Um, and even if you just go into some of the statistics uh, for both teams, the Boston Celtics are, are a top four offensive rating and defensive rating. And they also sit very highly in basically all of the defensive metrics, um, be that they're their fourth in just field goal percentage of their opponent, which is amazing. And um, they also limit opponents to the second least amount of points per game. Um, and when it comes to teams like Boston, this might sound a little stupid, but the main way to beat them is to score more points than them. And because they do have a fairly high octane offense, so you need to just sort of keep up with them. And I don't think that the 76ers have the personnel or the talent to be able to really do that. Um, and it, so it definitely hurts the 76ers a lot with Simmons being out. Um, but even with him being out, just, this, just the severe lack of shooting that the 76ers team has um, just cripples any sort of potential that they have in these playoffs. Um, I mean, you have guys like Shake Milton and a few of these other sort of role players like Trey Burke and Alec Burks, uh, even to the extent of um, Furkan Korkmaz, who can hit threes, but they're just, they're not such key pieces into the offense that it sort of becomes pointless that you have these shooters when that's basically all the 76ers need to have with the way their team is built um, to be successful. Uh, I think losing guys like JJ Redick really badly hurt this team's structure, and I think people underestimate just how important he was to this team. Um, I say he was a more important component than Jimmy Butler was. Um, I mean, I'll talk um, about Jimmy Butler later on, but I think losing a guy like Redick, who is just such a hustle guy and such a, just a, he does, he's, he's, got, he's not curry, he's not on that level of curry, but he, he demands respect on the perimeter and it just opens up everything more than someone like Shake Milton or Trey Burke would do. Um, but moving back into the just the matchup between these two teams, um, the center position has slowly declined. Well, actually, it's not even slowly. It's quite sharp decline in their usefulness. Um, you can see this is very prevalent with the Phillies draft pick of Jaleel Okafor, who a lot of people thought was going to be a very big player in this league, but the, the rug was pulled out underneath him and... Poor bastard's just lost everything, basically. He's become... 
He's become basically a non-factor when he's on the on the floor. He can't defend, uh, can't shoot, so there's just no place for him. Um, but the Celtics have gotten quite a quite a strong sort of almost selection of big men that they can throw at the main player on the 76ers being Embiid, um, as well as having just strong paint presences with. Although Daniel Tice is un- Daniel Tice, sorry, is uh, undersized, he still offers quite uh, quite high levels of strength as well as just effort and willingness to defend. Which sometimes that's all you need is just to have willingness, and you'll be able to do enough. Um, they can also get some reps in with their with Robert, Robert Williams, who's just a big body and able to disrupt shots and just be able to stay in front of Embiid. Um, but I do believe that Embiid is one of those players that it, it's not, okay, we need to stop him. It's more that we need to slow him down. And with this 76ers team, if you slow down Joel Embiid, the impacts that guys like Tobias Harris and Al Horford do just aren't enough, especially when the Celtics are throwing guys at them, like the emerging Jason Tatum. You've got Gordon Haywood, who's had a very silently strong season. Um and then you've got Jalen Brown and then Kemba Walker. This, the, the talent levels between these two teams, especially with Simmons sitting out, is just... It's, I think it's just insurmountable for the 76ers team. And uh, I was one of the people at the beginning of the season who thought that the 76ers were going to be the title favourite and that bringing in Al Horford to have next to Joel Embiid was just going to be... Uh, just that uh, just call game there. But man, I was like, oh, I was so bloody wrong. This, this team just doesn't work. Um... I'm I'm on the bandwagon that you need to blow it up. You need, definitely need to get rid of Horford. Um, I don't think I don't think they're at the place now where they need to consider going with Embiid or Simmons. Um, they're both incredibly young and they both seem quite willing to stay and to play with each other. Um, but the just the, the contributions that guys like Tobias Harris um, actually give to the team just they're. It's not worth the money he's being paid. And I, I, when it comes to the big-time games, he's not a player that I would sit there and say, he's someone who I want to have the balls, ball in his hands in those last 10 seconds of a game down by one. He's just not. And even Joel Embiid playing with the same game, I I don't think I'd really want Embiid to have the ball in the final seconds. I mean, unless you can get it to him in the post, but then even down there, they'll have at least a couple bodies and they have such versatile, switchable defenders in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum that um, they're able to just harass players like Embiid in the post. Um, you've got guys like Marcus Smart, who's not afraid to take an elbow to the face and just get up and keep going. It's just the, the talent discrepancies between these teams. I, I don't think the 76ers even have a chance. Like I'm, I'm giving them a couple games just because on the shoulders of Joel Embiid, the guy's going to give you some impressive numbers and be able to... Um, anchor a defense quite well, but I don't think it'll be enough, um, especially with just the awkward fits of Al Horford and then just the lack of offensive output from this team. It's it's Celtics, without a doubt. Now to finish off the uh, the good old Eastern Conference, we've got uh, a matchup that I'm sure a lot of people are looking forward to, I know I am, uh, the Heat versus the Pacers. Miami versus Indiana. Um, now, at the start of the season, I was one of the people that was very high on the paces and the team that they were able to build 
uh, coming into this season. And a lot of people weren't. A lot of people were definitely down on this team. And I think it's because uh, Oladipo was injured for the majority of the season. And they they lack the big name. Um, and it's true, they, they don't have that sort of star name. I mean, just comparing them to the Heat, they don't have that, that Jimmy Butler. They don't have that Andre Iguodala coming off the bench. They don't have these flashy rookies like Tyler Harrow and Kendrick Nunn who shocked the league with their, um, their contributions to this Heat team. But what I think that this team doesn't have in that star-studded talent is that they've got hungry players and they've got dependable players and they've got scrappy players. Um, I think having guys like TJ McConnell, um, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, even Aaron Holiday, um, and even to an extent, you got guys like Goga uh, Bedatse, I believe is how his name is pronounced. I'm I'm quite high on Bedatse. I think that he's a he's a he's a very strong and serviceable big man who has the ability to really help teams with their post presence. Um, his main gripe that I have, well, the main gripe that I have with him, is that. He can't shoot three at all. I believe he's shooting below 20%. Um, he's still willing to attempt it, which I think is a good sign, but he's just there's no signs that that shot's going to be even remotely helpful for any team. But he's, he's a massive body, and you can see that he has the defensive tools. His timing might be a little bit off, and his defensive knowledge might be might leave some room for improvement, but he's definitely got the tools to be a strong paint presence um, and to be both an offensive and defensive contrib- contributor to any team he's on. But I think that his his style of play suits this team, uh, suits this team quite well, especially if they're able to retain guys like Miles Turner and um, he continues to improve on his three-point shooting and ability to stretch the floor. He could be a very good uh, backup big man behind Sabonis and Turner. Um, now, talking about t- um, Sabonis is actually one of the reasons that I have the Heat beating the Pacers, sadly, um, as much as I do really enjoy this Pacers team, losing their main offensive piece as well as their main uh, rebounder as well as almost, you could almost argue, one of their most important playmakers. Um, as Sabonis is one of the most underrated big men um, since he is such an all-round talent. Um and losing that all-star talent just allows guys like the all-star talent in the Miami Heat, Heat, Miami Heat and Bam Adebayo just having almost free reign against this team. Um, and although TJ Warren has come out as the next Michael Jordan in this bubble with just absolutely absurd offensive numbers, um, he does seem to have this weakness when it comes to playing Jimmy Butler. And it might be because Jimmy Butler takes this matchup quite personally and he he tries 110% on every possession, um, even though Butler is known as a player who will try 110% on any possession. Um, when it comes to matching up against these guys and the bad blood that they've sort of been able to cumulate, of cumulate, that's the right pronunciation, is it cumulate? Anyway, they've been able to build this bad blood between them through their their matchups throughout the season, and everyone's definitely looking forward to these guys going uh, going up against himself, going up against each other. But um, one of the one of the main issues that 
this Pacers team has that the the Heat don't is that this Pacers team is a very strong defensive team, but has quite lackluster offense, especially when it comes to clutch moments and sort of the big games. Um, they just don't have a player, especially with Oladipo still coming back from his injury. He's he's nowhere near where he was before um, before being sidelined. But the Heat have multiple players who can stand up and have have a history of standing up in massive games. He's got guys like Andre Iguodala, who's a Finals MVP and still a very serviceable two-way threat um, at 36. And just the knowledge that he has makes him incredibly important to this team's success, as well as guys like um, Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic, who both have experience playing in the playoffs as well as have experience having incredibly important games that they're able to channel that sort of um, experience into games like this, whereas, or series like this, especially when these teams do match up quite well. Um, but when you go over to the Indiana Pacers, they just don't have that. They've got a uh, recovering Victor Oladipo. They've got a Miles Turner who, as a big man, for some reason, doesn't know how to get a rebound. Um, and he seems to just almost hunt for blocks as well as sit on the perimeter um, and almost becomes a non-factor in these games, which is what's something that I've noticed is that his actual contributions to the team just aren't what you'd expect from someone like him. You'd expect him to be a little bit more impactful and a little bit more crucial to this team's success, but he's just not. He's almost like an afterthought a lot of the time. People are more thinking about Sabonis and Brogdon, um, TJ Warren, Oladipo. People are even, I think players like Aaron Holiday seem to get more um, brain space than Miles Turner. He's, he's just a non-factor. And if he continues to do that, especially during this series, I don't think that the Pacers really have much of a chance against this Heat team, um, who whilst might not boast as strong of a defense, also don't have players missing, especially crucial players. So that's why that I've genuinely got the Heat in six. Um, I see it quite strong that this will be a seven-game series, but I think that Jimmy Butler will be able to put it onto a, a different level, especially during this matchup, that it'll most likely be in six. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, that, that's the East. Um, we'll move on to the West, and let's just, let's just see how... Uh, we go with that. Now moving on to the, the bright sunny beaches of the Western the Western Conference. Um, now I'm not going to get too far into the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Portland Trailblazers matchup because if you haven't already, my first episode, um, if you haven't heard it already, my first episode was actually diving into that at length and um, discussing the different different components of each team that make that a very interesting matchup. Um, but I'll just, I'll just make it very quick with this one that I do think the Lakers will win. I think it'll be in six, maybe even seven, um, and that that'll definitely be one of the more interesting matchups to watch in the whole first round, and it's definitely one that I'm going to be keeping a very close eye to because I, I can't wait to see these two teams match up, um, especially if Dame continues to have his 60-point outings because I believe that he'll definitely be able to capitalize on the sheer barrenness that is Los Angeles Lakers uh, backcourt, um, as well as having guys like Nurkic, 
Whiteside, Collins, um, even to an extent Carmelo, just having these big bodies um, in the paint to stop the penetration from guys like LeBron and uh, AD, as well as attempting to limit their transition play, um, as the Lakers generally are the best team to capitalize on that. Um, because if they get you in the full court, there's it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to stop LeBron or be able to beat Anthony Davis when it comes to his footwork um, at those type of speeds with his with just his general size. Um, so we'll move on to the second versus the seventh in the Los Angeles Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks. Now I think this matchup is it's not as interesting as people are going to think it is. Um, I have the Clippers in five. Um, now I'm a, I'm a massive. Doncic fan, don't get me wrong. I think he is going to be an all-time great. I think he's going to, by the end of his by the end of his career, I reckon he will be a f- top five talent. People can argue with me if they want, but that that's how high I have. That's how high my expectations are of Doncic. I mean, he's in his second season in the league, and he's leading a historic offense. This. Dallas offense has never been seen before, even with the the Steph Curry Warriors at their height, even with the seven or seven seconds or less Suns. Um, this team just absolutely annihilates almost anyone in their path when it comes to scoring the ball. Now defensively, they're incredibly lackluster, um, even with prolific shot blockers in Porzingis and just having very uh, switchable defensive guys on the wing. They just they just can't stop many people at all. Um, there was a few games where they were allowing upwards of 70 points in a half. I think there was one where it was 75 to 80. And you just can't do that, especially going up against a team like the Clippers that have such an arsenal of offensive talent. Um, just like the game that the, the Clippers had against the Pelicans, where they just kept on raining it from three because they've, they've got team, they're a team that has sharpshooters at basically every position outside of center. And if this Dallas Mavericks team can't stay on them defensively, there's, there's, there's no hope. Regardless of how talented Luca is or how much of a unicorn Kristaps is and how much of a sharpshooter Seth Curry is, if you can't stop this team in the Clippers and you can't at least slow down Kawhi or Paul George, um, you got no chance. You got absolutely no chance. And when it comes to just the sheer depth of this Clippers team, um, they're my favorite to win it all. Um, and people can say that what they want about um, the chemistry potential issues since they haven't played much together. Um, I think the main the the dream starting five has only played like four games or five games or something ridiculous like that. But um, I think with this team, when you're led by someone with a personality like Kawhi Leonard, um, or lack thereof, um, those type of things don't really matter because you'll generally go with what the leader of the team does as his like, as he sets the example. And his example is you go out there and you play as hard as you possibly can and you do everything right that you're capable of doing. And if you win, you win. And with that type of mentality, with players like Paul George, um, Kawhi Leonard, Montrezl Harrell, Pat Beverly, Lou Williams, um, Ivachi Zubac, I mean, the list goes on with this team. Um, 
they they've got two candidates for six man of the year. And I mean if that doesn't shine a light on the sheer potency of this team, I don't know what does. Uh, every single player on this team has a very strong and crucial part. But whilst it might be crucial for someone like Landry Shamet to make sure that he's hitting his open shots and to spread the floor for cutters in Kawhi and George, if he's not hitting his shot, Paul George probably is, or Kawhi probably is, or Lou Williams probably is. So whilst it's crucial that uh, Landry Shamet spreads the floor and is able to hit his shots, if he's not doing that, they have about four other guys that can step up and do it. And I don't think there is any team in this league that can that can boast that type of versatility outside of maybe the Raptors or potentially the Celtics. But even then, I don't think they have the level of talent that this Clippers team does. And this Dallas Mavericks team, I just I think that they're still growing. I think that they're still, especially Luca, whilst he is putting out these absolutely monstrosities of uh, statistics, he's not at that level um, of leadership, I, I want to say. Like, he's definitely a leader, and he's definitely very beloved by his team, but we're yet to see him in these um, important games. We've seen him excel in games that potentially don't really matter or haven't had much on the line, so we've, we're yet to really get to see how he acts in these situations, because you have guys like Kyle Lowry, who's um, who's infamous for just the sheer drop in production that he previously had in the playoffs. Now, I don't think Kyle Lowry is going to have that this season, but um, anyway, let's, <laughs> I digress. Um, we don't know if perhaps Luca has that issue or Porzingis, because, I mean, he was stuck on those crappy um, Knicks teams. I don't believe he's had any playoff experience either. Um so two of the main guys on this team that prop it up and prop up this historic offense have never really been in situations like this and have never had to go up against such a defensively strong team in the Clippers night in and night out for a whole week. Uh, I think it'll be very interesting to see how Luca does against this, especially when he will definitely be um, copying the Kawhi um, assignment on both offense and defense that... I'm not sure how productive this is going to be for Luca. Um, I think that he's going to most likely have to go into sort of lean more into his facilitating skills than his or, out, or um, outright scoring. Um, he's still going to be able to obviously score the ball. Luke is a absolute magician with the ball, but he's definitely going to have to step out of being that number one option and most likely give that scoring option to Porzingis as I think that he is the only matchup that they will be able to capitalize on due to the fact that their main person that they'd be able to use to defend a 7'3 sharpshooter would be Ivachi Zubac or maybe Montrez Harrell, but I think that the size difference between them would allow for too many open looks with Porzingis capitalizing on just his sheer size difference. Um, so that's the only way that I can think that the Mavericks might be able to really put up a fight, but this Clippers team, I think, is going to win it all. They're, they're too stacked. They're very well coached. They've just got the star talent that is just... It's unmatched throughout the whole league. This is probably one of the, the best-built teams, I think, in the history of the league. Um, 
No team has been able to boast multiple six-man, six-men candidates, as well as having um, MVP candidates in Paul or previous MVP candidates in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, Defensive Player of the Year candidates in both of them too. You have Patrick Beverly, who's an all-defensive candidate. You've got guys like Landry Shamet, who, whilst he doesn't have that star talent, he's a strong three-point shooter and his his shot has to be respected, which then will stretch the floor and allow these other players to truly be able to show off their offensive talent. And then on top of that, you just have these plug-and-play guys like Jermichael Green and Patrick Patterson, who I noticed actually had some nice big shots throughout the bubble. Um, but then you, you've even got the leadership in Joachim Noah. You have the offensive spark plug in Reggie Jackson. This this team is just it's just too strong. It's too it's too bloody strong, and it it frightens me. And I'm just honestly glad that the Spurs aren't even remotely near the playoffs so they don't have to play this team and just be embarrassed because I think this team is just way too strong. And moving on to the next matchup, which is the Denver Nuggets versus the Utah Jazz. This is three going against six. And I am going to go out there and say that this is going to be probably the least watched matchup of the entire first round. Because um, you got two teams that just aren't really vying for anything. Neither of these teams are true contenders. I mean, you've got the Utah Jazz that are missing their their key offensive piece in um, Bogdanovich, and you just have a you have a Nuggets team that, whilst they do have a very electric offense, their their talent level just isn't high enough to truly be considered a contender. Um, I do think that this team is a regular season team, quite like the Raptors from years past. And this this matchup just isn't really going to be all that entertaining. You've got a team that's offensively driven in the Nuggets, and then you've got a team that, without Bogdanovich, is incredibly defensively driven in the Jazz. <laughs> I just don't see any enjoyment from watching this series, apart from maybe seeing Bol Bol or Michael Porter Jr. or... Yeah, there's really there's really nothing with the Jazz. I I'm not a big Jazz fan. I think their team is kind of weirdly built. Um, even though I'm Australian, I've got nothing but nothing but um, respect and admiration for a guy like Joe Ingles. The team just isn't very good. Um, I was very high on this team actually um, at the start of the season, bringing in Mike Conley and um, Bogdanovich. And Bogdanovich has definitely been a, a very strong piece for this team. But, I mean, we all know how Mike Conley's been going for the for this season. <laughs> it's, not, it's not very good. Um, but, yeah, it's... The, the Jazz just don't really have anything else that they can throw up. I mean, they've got Jordan Clarkson, sure. They've got him coming off the bench. He'll give you some good points. He potentially has six-man-of-the-year um, potential. He's an offensive spark, sure. But, yeah, they don't have enough other offensive talent to have a guy like Jordan Clarkson be an offensive spark off the bench. Um, even when you look back in the past, sort of th- these archetypes of players in... I mean, the most prolific one that can come to mind might be just because I'm a Spurs fan is Paddy Mills. He's the definition of an offensive spark plug off the bench. Um, 
but that only really worked was because he was coming behind a guy like Tony Parker, who's a very strong offensive talent. Um, you've also got him coming up behind guys like Kawhi Leonard, who blossomed into being an offensive talent in his later seasons in San Antonio. Um, even Lamarcus Aldridge, when he was drafted, when he was uh, signed into the team, uh, Paddy Mills was just able to keep that offensive flow going whilst the stars rested. When it comes to the Jazz, there is no offensive talent outside of maybe Donovan Mitchell, who I think just isn't that important when it comes to the offensive side of the ball, um, and that his stats are mainly there because there is literally no one else who can score on this team. Um, I'm not a very big Donovan Mitchell fan when it comes to his contributions to this team. I think that he would definitely be better suited in a different team that's built around offense first rather than defense first, even though Donovan Mitchell is a defensive um, capable guard. I think that he would flourish more being a offensive option on an offensive-minded team, honestly kind of like the Nuggets, but also be able to bring it on the defensive end of the floor, which would make him a very crucial part to a team like the, the Denver Nuggets. Um, but moving back to this matchup, I just think that I think it's going to be the Nuggets overtaking Utah, um, regardless of the Jazz being and boasting some incredibly strong defensive talents in Rudy Gobert, who I believe is a defensive system in, its, in himself, um, as well as a very uh, dynamic and switchable, incredibly undersized power forward in Royce O'Neal. Um, I mean, the, the, the bloke's 6'4", and he's a power forward. I think it just speaks to his strength and his defensive IQ. But just going off the straight-up matchups between these teams, the Nuggets boast, I think, a little bit too much firepower compared to the Utah team, where the Utah team's defensive um, capabilities are very limited to the post and the inside. They're not very much outside of guys like Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell. Their defensive, on, their defensive ability on the perimeter doesn't match up very well against the offensive capabilities of this Nuggets team when you have a seven-foot, basically, point guard able to cut the defense into pieces and make the right pass basically 90% of the time. And then you have guys like Jeremy Grant, who's been very, who's been known to step up in these very important moments. You have a guy like Mason Plumley who can come in and sort of just help be that big body in the post and... Um, Whilst Rudy Gobert has got the length and he's got the defensive mindset, he doesn't have that strength. And whilst it might work against Nikola Jokic, I think Mason Plumley um, is able to stand his stand his own against a player of Rudy Gobert's sort of strength level and his type of play. Um, as well as that, Mason Plumley is not exactly a a strong presence when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. Um, the only thing that I could see that would be an issue. Um, on this matchup for the Nuggets is they're not a good th- they're not a three point making or taking team um, and if you are able to make your threes you'll be able to blow this Utah team out of the water but I just think that the overall offensive output especially with the transcendent rise that old mate Porter Jr. has had I just think there's too many offensive weapons for this Jazz team to even remotely contend with. I've got I've got Nuggets and maybe six, but I'd probably honestly say five. 
um, this jazz team just it, it sort of definitely does speak to how important Bogdanovich is to this team and how desperate they are for just more offensive talent because they just don't have it. They just don't have much in the way of offensive talent. And I think if they're able to get players who are able to do that, then this team would be terrifying. And it would be the team that I thought they were going to be when adding someone like Mike Conley in the beginning of the season. But with the way he's been playing, it he's been a fairly strong non-factor. He's upped his game a little bit in the bubble, but I don't think that it's going to be enough for them to even remotely contend with any team, to be honest. Um, I don't think they're really a playoff team without that offensive contribution from Bogdanovich. But I'm sure a lot of Jazz fans will be very, very salty on my takes and my pessimistic view of this team. But that Jazz just does not sound sweet, baby. It just does not sound sweet at all. Give me that solid gold nuggets. Even though I think that the nuggets are just then going to get knocked out of the next round, regardless of who they go up against, because I think they are they're a they're a fake contender. They're a regular season team, and they just need to develop their guys. Like Jokic needs to develop more of a presence in the post on the defensive end. Michael Porter Jr. needs to continue becoming this offensive juggernaut, and then their guys on the wing like um, Will Barton and. Uh, Malik Beasley. Wait, no, Malik Beasley was traded, wasn't he? I'm talking, thinking of Gary Harris and Tory Craig and Jeremy Grant. And then you've even got the guys like Jamal Murray, who they just need to step it up on the defensive end. And then this team would be able to truly be in that argument of a contention. But I think this is going to be the most boring bloody uh, series out of the lot. And yeah, you're not going to you're not going to see me watching anything more than the the highlights of these ones. And that'll just be so I can see Bol Bol. That'd honestly be about it. But anyway. And we've come to the final matchup of this in the West. You got the Houston Rockets versus the OKC Thunder. This matchup is definitely one of the more interesting story-wise. The narrative that surrounds this matchup is is quite interesting. Um, Especially when you've got the... The trade that happened in the offseason for Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul, as well as the, the sort of bubbling bad blood that we were able to witness between Chris Paul and Harden when they were both playing on the Rockets. Um, so I think this matchup is going to be quite interesting just from that standpoint to see if anything really happens or to see if maybe someone like Russell Westbrook takes it a little bit more personally. Um, and when it comes to Russell Westbrook taking things personally, you've got a bit of a a coin flip with how that turns out because sometimes it can be that he'll take it personally and then he'll just implode on himself or he'll take it personally and he'll turn into 88 Jordan and just absolutely destroy everything in his path. Um, So I think that this matchup could be quite interesting, especially with Chris Paul's playoff history. Um, If he's able to bring it against his former team, um, I think that could erase some of the, the negative connotations to his name when it comes to the, his, his playoff experience. Um, I'm on the fence with this Rockets team, um, just from a fan standpoint. They can be very fun to watch because all they're doing is bombing it from three. 
but they can also be incredibly painful to watch because they're just bombing it from three. And whilst they're, they're taking and making the most three-pointers, they're not making them at the at a very good rate. They're, ta- they're making them at the, the 24th mark out of the 30 teams at 34.5%. And I, find, I just find that, that sort of percentage to be quite concerning when it comes to the, the style of play that they're doing. I mean, they've got a 6-5 center who can hit their corner threes and then they've got a bunch of these wing players who are, are meant to be strong three-point shooters, but the, the percentage is just... it Statistically, it isn't bad. But com, in comparison to the league, it's not very good, considering that that is their offense. I mean, they actually shoot more three-pointers than two-pointers. I mean, to be fair, it's by 0.1. But even for them to be close is... <laughs> You never thought you'd see it, to be honest. Um, but in this matchup between the Rockets and the Thunder, I do have the Rockets winning it. Um, I think that just, even with Westbrook most likely missing the first, second, maybe even third game, um, I'm guessing he won't. I'm guessing that he will come back uh, before that, before the midway mark of the series. But James Harden is just... He is probably the most deadly and toxic <laughs> offensive player that I've ever seen. Uh, I put him up there as, with the likes of MJ and Kobe and Wilt and um, T-Mac and all these other incredibly potent offensive players. I put him up there right with them. Um, and whilst that might be a little bit of a, a sore subject for some people... You can't argue, even though his style of play might piss a lot of people off with his... You, you touch him anywhere and his neck flings back like a Pez dispenser. But his just sheer offensive output is... It's it's mind-boggling. It's honestly sometimes hard to find words to describe what James Harden has been doing these past couple of years and what he's capable of doing. Um, their whole game is basically built around shooting the three and getting to the line. So they're either going for the most, I wouldn't say efficient, but the most highly likely to make in the free throw. And the the attempt that has the most points attached to it. And this, this has been working for them for the majority of the season. They've been able to turn it up. They've been able to adjust and um, when Westbrook is back, running him sort of at centre allows this team to just be devastating because obviously no centre is going to be able to match up against the speed and athleticism of Westbrook. But you're also able to have Westbrook be running around and whilst he might not be the most competent three-point shooter, it, it's it's serviceable. He can hit them from time to time. So the centre will still need to be pulled out, which then will allow more driving lanes for guys like James Harden and Robert Covington. Um and with the way that the Thunder are built with their sort of... They've got a strong presence inside with Steven Adams. But when you get to Danilo Gallinari, who... His defense is basically a wet paper bag. He can't really do much. But then you go down to guys like Shea and Chris Paul, who they're, 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 they're confident on defense, especially Chris Paul, which is mainly just his basketball IQ. 
they'll be able to keep up with this team, especially because they have this very unique and very, at least to me, surprisingly efficient uh, three-guard lineup where they run Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and Shea. Um, and they're able to basically outrun any team. But they're going against a team that basically does that for their entire starting lineup. And whilst I think that the OKC Thunder's three-guard lineup is a little bit um, better built than the entire team of the Rockets, I think that the fact that the Rockets team have all like bought into this style of play and this system, as well as they're all being very committed to performing the game in this way, and then just having that star power in Westbrook and Harden that I give the edge to the Rockets because whilst the OKC Thunder can pull out this um, this deadly little lineup, they only pull it out for stretches, whereas the Rockets keep their deadly lineup out there at all times. Um, the only way that I can see the OKC Thunder sort of overcoming the, the sheer offensive bombardment that the Rockets can give is if they capitalise on the first couple games with Westbrook out as there will have to be extended stretches where there is no star on the court where the OKC Thunder will definitely be able to stagger the minutes of a lot of their offensive talent with Dennis Schroeder, um, Shea, Chris Paul, Gallinari. Um, you can even go down and say, guys, like, I mean, Terrence Ferguson can sometimes go out there and be a spark plug and, uh, uh, I mean, to be honest, the, the team falls off quite a bit, but they are very well coached by Billy Donovan, and they all generally know what their part is in the team. Um, but yeah, I think I, they just definitely need to capitalise um, in the first couple games with Westbrook out, especially when Harden has to sit, even though I'm sure they'll be playing him for 40-ish minutes. Um, for that extra eight minutes, you just need to make sure you go on 20-point runs, Um Otherwise, I'd, I just don't see this this Thunder team being able to put up much of a fight against a team like the Rockets. Um, I, I don't have the Rockets going very far in these playoffs. I think they'll basically get out of the first round and most likely get knocked off in the next, but I definitely do have the Rockets over the Thunder just because of the, just the level of star talent when you come to the playoffs is very crucial, and the level that the Rockets have is, is just way too much for a team like OKC, but... You never know, um, especially with this OKC team. I was one of the people that had them quite low. I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. I didn't expect them to... I, I thought they were going to be maybe the third worst team in the West, if not maybe second. Um, I always had the Warriors at the bottom. But this team, on paper at the beginning of this season, they didn't look good and they've surprised us. So who bloody knows? They could surprise us again and... I would live for that because I do really like Chris Paul. I have him as one of the greatest point guards ever. I love Shea. I think that he's got such a versatile game that he'll be around in this league for quite a while. And obviously, I've got to love Stephen Adams. Um, he might not be from Australia, but he's close enough, and he's an absolute legend. So I, I truly am going to be supporting this Thunder team, but I have to objectively give it to the Rockets just for... They're just a stronger team. They know what they're doing, and... When you have guys like James Harden and Russell Westbrook on your team, there's always going to be the strong possibility that they're just going to take over and the game is going to be done from the first tip because they're locked in.
I think we're going to call it a wrap right there. Uh, this was my nice little playoff preview of what I think is uh, going to happen using my crystal ball. Um, so yeah, if you like what you're listening, follow us on uh, Spotify. Um, don't forget to check out the Facebook page on Just Another NBA page. Uh, read some of the articles that I'm posting there. And if you want, shoot me an email at uh, just another NBA page at gmail.com. That's just another NBA page at gmail.com. Um, shoot me through any articles you want me to post on the Facebook page if you're into uh, attempting some sports writing uh, just for the experience. I'd love to read it and see uh, other people's perspectives on the leagues and certain storylines going around. Um, and I hope that you guys look forward to the next episode because uh, I'm going to look forward to uh, figuring it out and organizing everything for it. Um, but yeah, I hope you're enjoying. I uh, hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. And I'll, I'll catch you in the next one. See ya.